Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on Positively Trek. We are the children of the comment. Comment? Like that is it? Why I say comment? I, I like that. Children of the comment, you know, people comment on the episodes. I think that makes sense, actually. We're commenting on things. Yes. So we're children of the comment. <laughs> and what we're going to comment on today is a Strange New Worlds episode called Children of the Comet. Isn't that a coincidence? Weird. I, I wonder. That's crazy. It's almost like it was preordained thousands of years ago and... I don't know. It was written. That was what we must do. Yes. I feel like everything that we're doing was always meant to happen. This podcast was always meant to happen. Interesting. It feels like we're going to have a philosophical discussion later about that very topic. <laughs> yes. It seems to cross over into other Star Trek series recently, too. <laughs> hmm. of things being meant to happen. But anyway, before we get into that, first, I want to introduce myself. For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time ever, welcome to the show. I'm Bruce Gibson. And with me, the Star Trek genius that he is, is Dan Gunther. I don't know about Star Trek genius. I We don't need, no, no you don't need to inflate my ego that much. But, but thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you have Larry Nemechek out there who's Dr. Trek. Then you have Dan Gunther, who is Professor Trek. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't take compliments well. <laughs> oh, really? Well, Dan, you're such a great guy. I just uh, think you're I'm, the I'm, best. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well... As children of the comments here on today's show, again, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 2 of Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet, and that's coming up a little later. So if you haven't seen the episode, you may not want to really listen to us talk too much into it because, of course, we're digging in and there'll be all kinds of spoilers. But before we do that, we do have some news items we want to touch upon that came out this week. And one is about Mr. Wesley Crusher also known as Will Wheaton. So apparently... And also, uh, we should say spoilers for the finale of Picard if you haven't watched that yet, but exactly. you should go watch that if you haven't yet. <laughs> so if you haven't watched Picard, the last episode of Picard, if you haven't watched Strange New Worlds, and if you haven't been online, because some of these things I don't know how you would miss, yeah. then you should probably <laughs> be just turn off this podcast and go listen to someone else who's not talking about this. Go listen to, like, <laughs> I don't know, a Babylon 5 podcast, because those episodes have been out forever. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Even though I haven't watched them, except for the first episode. Oh, which Bruce. I keep forgetting. You gotta, you gotta watch that. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting about it. There's just too much stuff to watch. That's the problem. <laughs> and to read, you know? So, 
I just don't have time for all that. I wish I did. That's why I keep thinking about, oh, one day when I retire, all I'm going to do is like read and watch stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you picture these people in old folks' homes and retirement homes and they're playing games, you know, they're playing like, you know, Monopoly or, or Checkers or something. Nope. Bruce is over there reading another Star Trek novel again. <laughs> yep. That'll be me too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be sitting next to each other reading. Yeah. And then talking about it. Maybe we'll still have a podcast, but either way, we're going to talk about the novels. <laughs> <laughs> and people will be like, podcasts? Who does podcasts anymore? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, who would have imagined that there would be multiple Star Trek shows that would fight over using the character of Wesley Crusher? Like, that's the Twilight Zone right there. Because mm-hmm. as much as people have talked over the years about not liking Wesley Crusher, and I know there's some that do. I mean, I like Wesley Crusher. He's cool to me. And, you know, he's been in several novels that I loved and stuff. Who would have imagined that people would be fighting over him? Yeah, this is pretty interesting. Th- this was uh, a Wesley Crusher's return video that was featured where they talk about how the various shows, a number of the the shows that are in production in Star Trek right now, were discussing the idea of Wesley returning and there was a Crusher conflict over who would get to bring Wesley Crusher back or bring him back first, maybe. Maybe he still appears in other shows. We don't quite know that yet. But the cool thing about this was I saw Will Wheaton's reaction online where he wrote up a little thing about it and how he had no idea when it was happening that this was actually happening and how touched he was that this character has kind of come full circle this way and and been beloved enough that multiple shows want him back. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's as surprised as I was just saying, like, who would have ever thought that all these shows would be clamoring to have Wesley Crusher on them. And so, as we said, spoiler alert, Picard, he's in the last episode of Picard, but of this, of season two. But apparently there's another series out there that was really close, if not already maybe had worked him in some way. And my prediction is it's Lower Decks because he's made comments before about talking to Mike McMahon and Mike McMahon has said, hey, it'd be great to somehow get Wesley Crusher into the show. That's what I think. I think, and I still think we'll see Wesley Crusher on Lower Decks at some point. I think we'll definitely, like it's, it just, he's a natural fit for that, right? For bringing back a character like that. I definitely think we'll see him on Lower Decks. I'm also going to put out a Dark Horse candidate for where Wesley Crusher might appear. And I'm going to say Star Trek Prodigy. I think there's a good chance he might show up on Prodigy, given that he has his traveler abilities and can appear any place, any time. And the fact that Star Trek Prodigy is a kid-oriented show why not bring back one of the original kids of Star Trek to maybe be a mentor for these kids at some point or something? So uh, this is kind of an idea in the back of my head that I feel like he'd be an interesting and good fit for Prodigy for an episode or two. Well, yeah, because Wesley Crusher was or is a Prodigy. Exactly, yeah. If he's on the show, then Will Wheaton can claim, oh, well, the show was named after my character, Wesley <laughs> Crusher. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, there is also, and, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, that tweet by Aaron J. Waltke, one of the writers on Prodigy, who was talking about the people getting together and sharing ideas and saying he's so excited about something that's going to, you know, going to happen. And I'm assuming on Prodigy that relates back to the Picard finale or something like that. So, you know, my thinking was maybe that big anomaly that the Borg are dealing with, but maybe also Wesley Crusher as a traveler. That might be one of these things that crosses over. Yeah, that could be. Now, oh man, that would be cool. I'd like to see that. I do predict this though. If he is on lower decks, they're going to somehow work in him wearing the rainbow shirt. Oh, of it's course. It's got to happen. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like Boimler is going, I mean, I don't want them, it won't be just a repeat of the Tom Paris plate thing, but he's going to have something that he wants Wesley Crusher to sign. I know that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's Boimler that wears the rainbow shirt because Wesley's there. Oh, that would be great, too. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. He would look good in a rainbow shirt, I think. Yeah, it would suit him. <laughs> <laughs> suit him like he's wearing a suit, a Wesley Crusher suit. Look at that, Dan. <laughs> Perfect. Puns. Puns. So let's go on to the next news item. So we're talking about the second wave of Super 7's Star Trek TNG figures. So we talked about this, I don't know, months ago or a year ago. I don't know how long ago it was, where they came out with their first wave of Picard, Worf, Data, Guinan, a Borg drone, and Wesley Crusher. <laughs> so he's already in that wave. So in the second wave that's coming out, or is out now, I th yeah, actually it's out now, you can get Riker, LaForge, Dr. Beverly Crusher, Troy, Armus, and Q. And, okay, <laughs> I have to say, this Q cracks me up. Dan and I were talking about it before the show, and he hit the, he hit the nail on the head. Q's face looks like Q to me, but it was reminding me of someone else, and Dan's like, it looks like Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it looks like Jean-Luc's <laughs> face with his eyebrows at an angle. As, and that, but he's in the cube robe and st in the cube robe and stuff. So, yeah, that one would be my favorite. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I, I mean, the likenesses are kind of hit and miss on these, but they're cool looking figures. And of course, the idea is to look like retro figures, kind of based on the old Kenner and Galoob action figures of of days past. The Q is definitely one that, yeah, it just looks like Picard to me. That's that's odd. But the one that kind of blows my mind, and I'm like, there's, I, I don't think there's ever been a toy or anything depicting this character. Armus. Armus gets an action figure. <laughs> what the heck? Okay, so first of all, we don't have a Tasha Yar figure yet, but right. the we need that. The glob of oil slick that killed her is there. <laughs> okay. It's an interesting choice. I gotta say, I'm I applaud them simply for the fact that, like I said, I don't think anyone's ever done any kind of Armus anything before. Well, that's what I was wondering, because I thought, why are they doing Armus? And I thought, well, maybe because he was done before, but you've never seen an Armus figure anywhere before right i could be wrong maybe there is one somewhere but this is it's just like a, a 
a glob with like a, a head. It's got separate heads, arms, and like a pivot point at its waist, but it's just like a black glob. <laughs> it's awesome. I kind of love it. <laughs> you can have that yeah. on your shelf and people would be like, what the heck is that? <laughs> oh, it's Armus. You know, the, the famous character of Armus. Doesn't everybody collect Armuses? <laughs> and someone will say, oh yeah, from Lower Decks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, yeah, because you can get these. Okay, so they're three and three quarter reaction figures. They have five points of articulation and they're in the classic action figure style. So you can go and order these individually or as a set. They're priced at 18 US dollars each and they're available at Super 7, the number seven, super7.com or at Entertainment Earth. And I did go to the website to see how much it would be to buy the, th- the set of six action figures together. And it was 108 US dollars. So it seems pricey, but uh, yeah, it might be worth it for that Armus to go after all these other <laughs> crew members. I just, oh, what a choice. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, $108. I mean, that's 18 times six. So you're not getting my discount, but it, I guess they're packaged all together. You, can, you don't have to buy each individual. You just click once. So, so Bruce, are you going to be picking any of these up? <laughs> um, actually, you know, I hadn't thought about it. I, well, I did think about it. I really like the Q because <laughs> of the face. And now that we're talking about Armus, that one's hilarious too, especially the five points of articulation. Cause you want that with your Armus. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are neat. I, you know, my wife has an interesting philosophy when it comes to collectibles. She's a huge Star Wars fan. She loves Star Wars, but she kind of recognized early on that if she wanted to collect everything Star Wars, it would just be too much. It would be, you know, there's so much out there. And, and Star Trek is is maybe not to the same extent as Star Wars, but same with Star Trek. There's so much out there for Star Trek collectibles. So she has an absolute favorite character in all of Star Wars. And that is Admiral Akbar. She loves Admiral Akbar. So she collects Akbars. Like that's her thing. Like when I open a box of Star Wars trading cards, the rule is any Akbars go to Nikki. <laughs> that's the rule. And I've accepted that. And she's gotten a few from that by me opening trading cards, like autographs by Tim Rose, that sort of thing. So I've always thought that, you know, maybe I should do that with my Star Trek collecting, like just focus on a character and, you know, just collect those like friend of the show, Brandy Jackala has her Spock collection, right? She has so right. many different Ethan Peck Spocks as well as Leonard Nimoy Spocks and stuff. That's a cool idea. I think Q in the judge's robes or just Q in general would be kind of a fun character to build a collection around. I don't think I'm doing that. I'm still just going to pick and choose things that I like because I can't, I just can't choose a character. I I, I love them all, but I think Q would be a kind of a fun one to build an entire collection around. That, yeah, I think so. That would be a fun one because Q's such an interesting character and he comes up with different outfits, right? So mm-hmm. you're not going, he's going to get like this one character who's always in the same uniform, you know, yeah. for the most part. I'm, I'm not a collector. 
I just, I, the thing I've learned about myself over the years is I'm the kind of person where less is more, mm-hmm. where I'm always trying to get rid of things. I swear, if anybody listening right now is a Star Trek or even a Star Wars fan and you live in the Atlanta area, <laughs> I can dump a whole bunch of stuff on you. Because I'm not even looking to make money. I don't even want to go through the hassle of eBay or Craigslist and packing things and shipping them off and stuff. I, I, just, I just want it gone, but I don't want to throw it away because I know somebody else would like it. you know. But I'm, I'm trying to empty things out of my house, even to the point... My my treasure of all my Star Trek novels, at least once a year, I come close to getting rid of them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not because I don't want them, but I'm just like this. I don't want. I I want to get rid of things. I I don't want a lot of things. Yeah, I get that. I I get that. I have a ton of stuff, and over the years, I've gotten rid of some things. But it's yeah, I have a ton of things, and I should probably thin out the collection a bit myself for sure. But, uh, you know, maybe I should build my collection around Armis and just collect all Armis things that come out. So I'd have that one figure. And as far as I know, that's it. So <laughs> you read my mind. I was thinking Armis is the one for me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Find the, voice- find the guy that, that voiced Armis and get him to sign an eight by 10 and <laughs> get this figure and then call it, call it a day. <laughs> yeah. You want to see my Armis collection? See? Right here on this little shelf. <laughs> Just two things right there. That's it. <laughs> this is a sample of the exact brand of printer's ink they used to create the creature on set. There we go. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, I would love to keep everything in a way. But, yeah, I just, I, yeah, this is one reason I don't collect. I It's, it's part of the, well, and it saves me money by not doing that either. <laughs> so... But there's certain things like what you're saying about your wife. Like, it's not that a particular character I would collect, but it's got to be something that I really go, Oh, I really want to have that. And just give you an example real quick is, you know, one of the action figures I have, and I've mentioned this before is Captain Mackenzie Calhoun from mm, the novels mm-hmm. when that came out years ago, because, you know, an action figure based on a novel character, like that's very unique. I've done the same thing even on the Star Wars side. I just, here, well, hold on, Dan. Nobody else can see this, but for Christmas, I wanted Jackson the Rabbit from Uh. Star Wars, (laughs) who was featured in the comics. Yeah. He was kind of a silly character. I had to have his action figure because he was featured in the books and never on screen. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I guess you could say I collect uh, book stuff. Yeah, I know back in the day there were collectors that that felt that way about Thrawn. Now now he's made his way into outside of the books, but yeah, same idea. Yeah, and I also have the Jason, not Jason, but the Jaina Solo. They mm, for the mm-hmm. Black Series figures, they had a vote years ago and I voted for her and that's the one that won, so I have her. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> That's cool. That little tangent, we're done with that because I want to talk about Star Trek Online. And this to me is really cool and also a little out there. And that's why I kind of like this. But there's a new storyline that's coming to Star Trek Online called Stormfall. And this will continue the Mirror Universe invasion storyline. And it will have Kate Mulgrew on there doing a voice of Janeway. But it's also going to have Chase Masterson 
as Admiral Lita. And then we're going to have Mary Wiseman on as Captain Killy and Noah Averbeck Katz as a new character, a new Andorian character, not the one he played on Discovery, but this other character. And all of this is taking place in the Mirror Universe where they have to find Ilya Decker from the motion picture. Now that interests me so much, but I do not know how to do Star Trek online. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just think this is really cool. And it's just a coincidence this was announced because I was just talking to my daughter the other day that I need help. I cannot do Star Trek online. I have been flying around the same area of space forever, trapped in this cube space area i can't get out and that's why i haven't been playing because i don't know what to do so if anybody can help me maybe we could get online together and you can show me what to do next but i'm very challenged at star trek online yeah it's been a long time since i played i'd love to just be able to sit down next to you and and figure it all out there Uh, i used to play quite a bit but uh, it's been a few years now but yeah okay this story looks really cool and i've got to say when I watch videos on YouTube, I usually totally ignore the ads if they're unskippable or I hit skip as soon as I'm able. But I was watching a video yesterday and an ad came on at the beginning of it. And all of a sudden I see Ilea and I'm like, what the heck is this? And so, yeah, it was this, it was this trailer for Star Trek online Stormfall. And this looks really, really cool. <laughs> I know it does, but I don't understand these storylines. Since you said you've done some Star Trek online, do you play through the story or are you just watching the story? How's that work? You play through it. There's different missions that kind of go along with it. And then, you know, various kind of cutscenes that go along with, with what you're playing through and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, do- it's totally interactive and, and there's a there's a gameplay element to it. Okay, that's what I thought. If I can just get out of this area of space that I've been flying around in, like there's no information of what I'm supposed to do. Because what happened is I was fight. So I've I only started this like a few years ago, and so I didn't get very far. I did go on some mission to do something, and then the Borg came and was attacking me, and they were beating me up really hard because I can't remember which key on my keyboard I need to hit for different things. I'm still like <laughs> having to learn that. But then it, uh, the the program crashed. Oh, wow. So then, I, <laughs> I mean, those Borg, man, they're relentless. They even took down my program here. <laughs> and so I went back in, and then I'd come back up to this, and boom, boom, they hit me again. My program crashed again. <laughs> But then I got back in and I'm just in this area of space and I'm just floating around and you can see like there's edges to it. Like I'm in a cube area hmm. and I'm just floating around and I don't know what to do. <laughs> that almost sounds like it must be a bug. Like that, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause I've flown by every plane. I can't even land on them. I'm just flying around in this whole big cube area and it's been going on for the last few years. Because I don't know what to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that so. that sounds weird. Yeah, I'd almost see if there's a way to reinstall it or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe I could start it over again. That's a good point. But yeah, but Ilea, like I'm really interested in this because they call her Ilea Decker. So I'm assuming this is the combined Decker Ilea character from the motion picture, but in the mere universe. But I, I mean, isn't she like at a higher plane of existence, you know, for them to go rescue 
Yeah, I know. I know. We see like the V'ger cloud in the trailer and stuff. So yeah, I I don't know. I guess we'd have to play the game or maybe watch a a playthrough on YouTube once it's released. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I might go to YouTube that, but I really do want to play it. So we'll see. Okay, I've um, ne- I've never seen this before, but apparently Janeway's mirror universe character is known as Marshall Painway. <laughs> yes. I kind of love that. <laughs> <laughs> Painway and Captain Killy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Painway is clever. Nicely done. Nicely done, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I'm stuck in the Star Trek Online cube, I say that we take a quick break and come right back because we're going deep into Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, John Blaber, and Jesse Earle. Thank you all so much for your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash positively trek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shout outs, associate producer credits, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you once again. And now let's get back to the show. I kind of blew it in there, huh? Not at all, Cadet. Your captain values honesty, as do I. But? What I would say to you, that Starfleet has been a lifelong dream for many, myself included. If it is not your path, you might consider making way for someone else who wants to walk it. Dan, when did you... You've only watched this once, I think, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, so we're recording this on Friday morning. Uh, it came out yesterday, and I, I watched it late last night after coming home from work. So I watched it, then went to bed, then woke up, and I'm recording with you now. So it's pretty fresh on my mind. Hopefully none of my dreams that I had last night intrude on my thoughts of the episode, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched it the morning it came out, and then I watched it again that night because um my wife hadn't seen it she got home from work and we're eating dinner i'm like okay strange new worlds new episode do you want to watch it tonight she's like yeah and then my oldest daughter is home from university and i said to her do you want to watch it she goes no i'll be lost because i haven't seen any of the others i'm like no no no. this is just the second episode you don't have to watch the first episode to watch the second and my wife's like yeah come on why don't you watch it with us and she did she watched the whole thing nice That's exciting. exciting. Yes. (laughs) And spoiler, she liked it. (laughs) Oh, great. That's, I mean, spoiler alert for my thoughts at the end of this episode. How could you not like it? It was great. (laughs) I agree. Yes, for sure. But before we get into this episode, I want to ask something of you because you're watching this on Crave. Mm -hmm. So are you getting that intro Star Trek universe type intro before the episode starts yeah i am and i think that's cool and actually i did want to bring this up and i think we i think i forgot to last week but 
watching the Star Wars shows, right? They have that kind of unified, they show different faces and the little Star Wars logo comes up before the episode starts. And I'm wondering if that's this for the Star Trek universe. And is this, you know, when we get the other shows come back, is something similar going to be at the start of those shows? Maybe with a different ship flying around instead of the Enterprise, like in this one. Like when Lower Decks comes back, is the Cerritos going to trace out the Star Trek logo or something? Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to see if this will appear in other shows or not. And like you said, if they'll they'll be variances of them or, or such. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of cool, but I don't know if it's really needed. But I mean, it's all right. I mean, I will say, though, when it came on and my daughter was watching, she's like, ooh, colorful. Ooh, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah it's it's like it's it's branding right they're putting their their unified branding on the front of it i like it yeah so speaking of liking it you said you like this episode so what did you like about this episode uh i mean okay <laughs> that's requires us to really get into it but yeah there's a there's a lot i liked about this episode i'm really enjoying the characters i'm enjoying the story i'm enjoying uh, the visual effects, I mean, obviously are going to be top notch and they're beautiful. I, I'm really, yeah, I'm enjoying learning more about these characters and the storyline of the episode, I guess. Well, the reason I asked that question is that one of the things I really like about this episode is that it's not rushed. You know, sometimes we watch some new Star Trek episodes and sometimes I feel like it's rushed or they're putting a lot of storylines in there there's a lot going on and it didn't feel like there was a a lot of things going on where it's like okay now we're jumping over here and we're jumping over there and what's going on with this what's going on with that it's like it took its time and so like you said with the characters it's like going to the captain's table mm-hmm. and just having that moment of the characters just interacting and talking they're not talking about saving a planet they're not talking about whatever missions going on they're just hanging out with each other and getting to know each other and we're getting to know them. I love that when they do that in a Star Trek series because, or in, just even in an episode because I want that breathing room to not focus so much on story all the time, but just focus on these characters and the relationships and them just chilling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really reminded me actually of when Saru had everybody over for dinner in that episode of Discovery. A lot less yes. tense than that episode though, but but right. yeah, no, I really appreciated that scene. Uh, I love pike i know he's dealing with a lot but at the same time he's got this really casual air to him and when ortegas kind of uh hazes uhura and she's wearing the dress uniform and they you know the doors open and pike's there i loved his reaction where he's just like hey welcome and <laughs> dress uniform nice <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's great. I was just like, that's the perfect reaction. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just those kind of moments, you know, I love that kind of stuff. And then when Uhura comes in there and she sees Hammer, like this is our first introduction to this character. And it's not an introduction of, hi, I'm the new chief engineer. Welcome aboard, chief engineer, Hammer, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's not one of those. It's in a very casual situation. He's like chopping a carrot 
or something, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean, she comes up to him and introduces herself and wants to help, and he takes offense to that. And so we start to learn about, you know, his character and being an Enar and, and, you know, even how Spock tosses him something. And I mean, that whole interplay was priceless. Yeah, I really enjoyed that as well. And, and I love that we're exploring a race of characters that are race of people that we didn't think that we'd really, you know, like they were in that bit of enterprise and, and that was kind of it. I love that we're digging into the continuity and, and taking these alien races that we haven't seen a lot of. So, so cool. The subspecies of Andorian. I, I love that he's an Enar. That just really tickles me. And he seems really cool. I'm looking forward to kind of a feature on him because I, I'm curious to learn more. I love his kind of gruff attitude. And then after all of this, when Uhura walks off, he's like, I like her. yeah no that's a good point like this is a more of a uhura episode and so as i'm seeing them at the captain's table i'm i'm looking at the different characters thinking oh i can't wait for your episode and i can't wait for your episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and bengan wasn't there though he wasn't even in the whole episode yeah i know we haven't seen him in this episode at all yeah, I thought that was interesting that he wasn't there. So maybe the actor wasn't available that week or something. But yeah, I really love those moments. And like you said, we've got some of those in Discovery, but there are times where I wish we'd have more of those, mm-hmm. you know? And because it's so serialized and it's like they want to move on with all these different elements and different story beats and all these things, there's so much busyness going on that, you know, I wish there were more moments of just them hanging out for a while. You know, it's like Mike McMahon with Lower Deck says, you know, sometimes his favorite storyline is the B storyline, you know, just mm-hmm. somebody just living an everyday life with a problem on the ship, you know? <laughs> yep, absolutely. I do know it's uh, it was really cool to to see that for sure. A more casual moment and, and to get to know these characters. And one of the things we find out, of course, is Uhura may not feel that Starfleet is the best fit for her. And, you know, she's, she's such a prodigy. There's that word again, that, you know, she's excelled at everything she's done, but Starfleet might not be where she wants to end up. And I love that Pike is impressed by her honesty in that moment. And he says something along the lines of, uh, he hopes that she can find a place where she does fit wherever that might be. And I really appreciated that moment. Yeah. This is another reason why I love this character is that the captain, captain Pike, you know, I, I just love his portrayal and his support. You know, I, I mean, I love all the captains we've had, but it's just, he does seem so more down to earth than most of the others, you know, some of the others do, but you know, he just feels more casual than the others. Still in command, still a leader, but just more casual. Like, I think out of all of the captains that have led a Star Trek series, this is the captain I'd want to hang out with and have a drink with. Yeah, just those little moments, like where he sits down in the captain's chair and when we, we talk, we'll talk about the whole comet situation, but. He says, you know, oh, well, just uh, save a civilization before lunchtime or whatever he says. And then he leans over to Una and does like the stage hand whisper. I love this job. (laughs) It's great. I love it. Yeah. Just those little moments. I'm talking about tripping over 
Anasikin's pants that had fallen off. You know, I can't imagine Jean-Luc Picard sitting there with his crew talking, one time I tripped over the pants of Anasikin. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll talk with Riker alone about getting stabbed by Anasikin or, or Wesley, but, you know, it's not played up for laughs in front of his whole crew kind of thing. Mm-hmm, exactly. But let's talk about Uhura's backstory and what we've learned from her. Like you said, she didn't really want to be in Starfleet. That wasn't her original goal. She wanted to go to university, but her parents, was it both their parents, her parents taught there or just one of them? There was something like, I can't remember, but whatever it was, they were in a shuttle accident and died, including her brother, mm-hmm. just a week before she was supposed to go to this university where they taught. And so she didn't really want to go there. And so she moved in with her grandmother and her grandmother then raised her and she, you know, well, I mean, she's older now, but she's staying with her grandmother and she learns from her grandmother that, you know, she used to be in Starfleet in her younger years. And so Uhura's like, I'm going to go that direction, but she's not sure she really wants to stay. So what'd you think of that whole backstory? Do you like what they're doing with her character, giving her this kind of backstory from what you've known or what little you've known of Uhura from the past? I mean, yeah, canonically, we know so little about the character. She was so underexplored in the television shows and movies. So getting that filled out, I think, is a good service to the character that we actually know where she's actually from now. You know, it took her so long to get a first name even. And now we know where she grew up. Like, that's kind of pretty basic stuff. But then the the family backstory... As a fan of the novels, it goes against some of the things we've seen in novels. But again, as fans of the novels, we're used to that. So that's not anything new. You know, I, I think it it's interesting to give her that motivation. My mind went, interestingly enough, to this being the second episode of Strange New Worlds. And it felt similar in very, very broad ways. Not exactly the same, but similar in broad ways to the second episode of Enterprise, where Hoshi isn't sure she wants to be in Starfleet. She's this linguistic genius who basically is thinking, like, I want Archer to take me home. Very different circumstances, though. Very different reasons for being unsure of why she wants to be there kind of thing. But similar in that by the end of the episode, they're both more certain that this is where they want to be. So I I thought that was kind of interesting. Again, they're different stories. It's not the same story by any stretch of the imagination, but there's certain little parallels there that I appreciated. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. That's good. Yeah, that's funny that they're both the second episode of their series. Yeah. So, but let's go ahead and talk about this comet that is going on. Well, it's not really a comet of course, according to this other alien race, it's the Mahanit, and it's got its own mission. It's bringing all this goodwill and things to the universe or whatever, but Pike is like, it's a comet. And the guy's like, no, it's not. It's not a comet. Stop calling it that. Call, calling him that. I think they even called it him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, it's this life form and stuff. So, I, it's funny. I, I love watching the stuff with my wife and, of course, now my daughter, because they both really reacted when the shields came, were exposed on the comet. So when the Enterprise, because the comet's heading towards this planet, this class M planet that has a pre-warp civilization on it, 
and it's going to destroy the planet and kill all the people on it. So the Enterprise wants to divert the comet away from it. So at first they go to shoot at it, and these shields around the comet come up. And mm-hmm. the reaction of my wife was like, what? Shields? And my my daughter laughs. She goes, wow, mom, you were really shocked by that, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because, yeah, in, in my household, I was actually like, when the like grid thing happened, they were firing, the, they, were, they were deploying thrusters onto it using photon torpedoes. And this like kind of triangular grid came up. And I went like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, is this a ship or what's going on? And they're questioning that too. And so they decide to send a landing party down there, which includes Uhura, La'an, Spock, and then Lieutenant Sam Kirk with the mustache that, you know, Pike is kind of admiring the new mustache on Kirk. <laughs> yeah, and Kirk says, oh, you should grow one. And Pike just kind of like, mm. <laughs> I heard my daughter go, no. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, no, full beard or nothing. That's, that's Pike. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then they beam down and they see the structure that's on the comet. They knew the structure was there. And so they go in and there's this egg-like thing in the middle, this big gold egg. And it's got this writing on or something. And who is going to try to figure this out? And she's like, well, why? I, I mean, I'm, I, this is my first landing mi- party mission, my away mission. And I, I don't know, I'm a cadet. And they're like, you're here for a reason, you know? And, and then Kirk, I, I don't know about this, but I was like, why does Kirk just go up there and like touch it? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's kind of reckless. And of course, bam, it like fires something out and get now his, you know, heart's out and they have to try to revitalize him, but they can't because the shields came up and they can't beam back to the enterprise. But my favorite moment is when they turned him over because it reminded me (laughs) of Sam Kirk when they turned him over in TOS. That's funny. I didn't think of that. Although I was thinking of that episode because I was like, well, we know he doesn't die for another, you know, 10 years or whatever it is. So uh, he'll be fine. But I never thought of like the actual visual symmetry of that. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think about the whole egg thing and and this scene here of them being in this this structure and Uhura using musical notes and such? That was really cool. That was very sci-fi. My my first thought was like, okay, they're making really good use of that AR wall <laughs> that, that they too. purchased. It looks amazing, yes. you know, and it's not just, you know, a dusty desert planet or something like that that we've seen a million times. This environment is so cool and the walls are reactive to the music and I would l- I would love to see behind the scenes shots of them filming this and what the actors were actually seeing while they were filming. And this set piece in the middle, this giant egg thing, just beautiful, amazing visual design in this episode. It looks incredible. I was really watching it more intently the second time and it it just it looks fantastic. Even my daughter said, "Wow, this really looks like a movie." You know, she was impressed. And then even when the theme song was playing at the beginning, that was the first time she'd seen the opening. 
And she's like, oh, this looks beautiful. Oh, look at the graphic. Oh, look at the ship. Look at it. Oh, my gosh. This just looks beautiful. And she's not a Star Trek fan. But I will. I mean, she kind of likes it, but she doesn't really watch it. Watch it. She'll watch it with me every once in a while. But just so you know, people, even though she's not huge into Star Trek throughout this episode, even though she was enjoying it, she kept saying how she was missing Chris Pine. She really wants to see Chris Pine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I told her there's still a chance of another movie with Chris Pine. So Could be. Could be, yeah. <laughs> but this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the pacing. Like I like how they didn't feel rushed. You know, sometimes I feel like in shows, and it's not just some Star Trek shows, but other things too, that they feel like they have to keep moving and switching back to, you know, another scene and coming back and different storylines. I love how they just stayed with her as she's trying to figure this out and she's humming and she's playing the different notes and she's getting Spock to get involved. And they just took their time. Like we're really trying to figure out what makes this work. What's the messaging? How do different tones communicate? How do we understand what this is and not rushing through that? Really enjoy that. And like you said, that whole environment was just beautiful and sounded great too. Actually, the second time I was watching it, I felt so relaxed. I st- I felt like I was going to nod off, but oh, that's wow. because I just made me feel so relaxed. Yeah, yeah. It, this whole set piece is so cool and and really interesting. I, I want to also talk a little bit about Ethan Peck as Spock, and specifically in these scenes a little bit and stuff. First of all, right before they beam down and they're wearing the environmental suits. Something about the helmet covered just enough of his features that there are a few shots where he looks a lot like Leonard Nimoy. Like, it's just, it just covered up just enough that what was visible, like the eyes, the eyebrows, and the facial structure here, it just, I swore, like, oh man, does he ever look like Leonard Nimoy? And so much of his dialogue in this episode too, he's just really like, he's really done a great job of channeling this character. And I don't want to just keep comparing him to Leonard Nimoy. Like he's making the character his own and stuff as well. But I do have to say just his intonations and how he speaks, he's really done a lot of studying. It's apparent to make himself the character of Spock. And I found it odd that during the singing portions where he's modulating his voice to match Uhura's pitch, for some reason, I was like, he is really sounding like Leonard Nimoy here. I can't think of a time I've ever heard Spock at like Leonard Nimoy's Spock do that with his voice. But for some reason, just the, the tone and the pitch and, It just sounded so much like Leonard Nimoy. I loved it. Maybe I'm thinking of like Spock's or Leonard Nimoy's album where he sings like Bilbo Baggins or something. I don't know. But (laughs) something about that really reminded me of Leonard Nimoy's Spock. Yeah. Just real quick. When you said that, um, it reminds me my daughter when we're watching it and Uhura singing. She's like, oh, please have Spock sing. Please have Spock sing. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I know what you're saying. I, I agree. There's times I look at Ethan Peck and especially like you said, that helmet and he looks like Spock. I mean, he is Spock, but like you said, like Leonard Nimoy Spock and his voice, he, his voice is so deep already. The actor's voice. 
And I feel like he has, you know, patterned a little bit after, you know, Leonard Nimoy's portrayal, but also making it his own. And mm-hmm. that was the thing that always bothered me a little as Zachary Quinto was, I didn't think his voice was as rich as Nimoy's. And that's why I loved about Nimoy's portrayal. Spock is that rich voice, that low, rich voice, you know. Mm-hmm. I think also that had to do with some years of smoking. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, but Zachary Quinto just didn't have that kind of voice. But Ethan Peck really does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. And it's 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 incredible. I I I love him as Spock. He he can be Spock for the rest of my life now for every new Star Trek that comes out, you know. But yeah, really great. And then his pep talks to Yohora were a lot of fun too. And just that <laughs> interaction with the characters. And you know, that was the one thing I was thinking because you know, in the Kelvin universe, the Kelvin timeline, they're dating, right? And the creators of those movies saw the interplay and flirtatiousness that was going on in some early TOS episodes. And I'm not really seeing that here, but I'm seeing enough that I could believe that maybe in certain circumstances or such, these two characters might have romantic feelings at some point with each other. It's not impossible. Yeah, I think... I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. There's just, there's certain little qualities where you're like, wow, if, if they went down this path, that could be something that happened. I loved Uhura ribbing Spock about Nurse Chapel. It's like, oh, your girlfriend. Nurse Chapel is not my girlfriend. Like, he's immediately kind of taken aback. And I think Uhura's recognizing that she has that ability to kind of knock him off his logic just slightly. And, the fact that Spock also takes to heart a lot of what Uhura says in his own particular Vulcan way, I love. We get, and I immediately knew as soon as this line was spoken, we'd get a call back to it later, where it said that, you know, sometimes things go so badly, you just have to laugh. And I knew, I was like, okay, Spock's going to laugh at some point in the episode when something's going really bad. <laughs> I'm like, that's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And sure enough, that paid off. But also, you mentioned the pep talks. And, you know, Spock says something and her is like, is that your idea of a pep talk? And he says, I've been working on it. What do you think? And she's like, oh, and still needs work kind of thing. And then later on, when he says something that's a little bit more encouraging and a little bit more meaningful, she says, okay, that pep talk was better. And just something about Spock's face in that moment was so totally Spock where he's like, ah, I have new information to calculate into my calculations about pep talks. All right. I will remember this for future posterity and work it into my future pep talks. Like that was just all on his face in that moment. He's like noted. Okay. I've input the correct data into the right thing going forward. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I love earlier before they beam down and Chapel is getting them ready and, you know, shooting that stuff in their heads or whatever, you know. <laughs> and and that interplay where Uhura's like, oh, like something's going on here. Just her looks of noticing the flirtation from Chapel and Spock just 
not getting it, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just seeing that little moment of Chapel flirting with Spock, it's really the first time we're seeing this. I know we're in the second episode, but it was pretty obvious at this point that Chapel's like, yeah, yeah, I have a kind of thing for this guy, you know? And so that's kind of cool to see. Yeah, it's fun to see the beginning of that. And it feels natural. It feels like, I mean, Spock's just the straight man, right? Where you can kind of rib him a little bit and it kind of, mm. and uh, you can tell that Chapel enjoys doing that. And Uhura enjoys doing that a little bit as well, but in a different way. Like it doesn't feel like, I mean, we also know what's coming for Chapel and Spock as well. So they're, they're working that in for yes. sure. <laughs> yes. And Laon is part of the landing party, but there isn't a whole lot going on with her i mean she's there she has some things to say and so but i'm really looking forward to getting to know this character better i'm just fascinated by her even when she just says something i'm always like there's something about her i just want to know so much more there's so much more there you know and there was that one scene with the egg when spock says maybe it was the pep talk thing or something like that and spock walks away from her and yuhura looks back at lawn and they just give each other this look like yeah, I guess that's Spock. Okay, whatever. You know? mm. Just like, again, those little character moments. Yeah, it seemed, I, I was a little worried because it seemed like she was there to give Uhura a side eye and to kind of chastise her a bit. Yeah. But it's motivating in its own way because she says, like, are you going to be a super genius or get us all killed? And it that feels a little cruel in that moment, but it does motivate Uhura. And when it's clear that Uhura is on the right track and things are going to maybe work out, Lon gives her the credit. You know, she says, Oh, looks like we're falling more on the super genius side <laughs> or whatever. Like that was pretty cool. I, I liked that. It wasn't just that she was there to kind of be mean to her, Uhura. She was also there to encourage her in her own way, I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> She's not much of a team player as we learned last episode, but maybe that'll come as, as the series goes on. Yeah. And that makes me think how much I like what they're doing with the Uhura character because she's very confident in her, I mean, she's confident, but she's not confident. And what I mean by that is when she's vulnerable, she's confident enough to express that she's vulnerable. She's confident enough to express when she's uncomfortable. She's not trying to hide it. She's not trying to run away from it. She's very comfortable to just like, this is who I am, everybody. And, you know, sometimes I'm good and sometimes I'm not feeling that great about myself, but I'm going to let you know. And that's that whole honesty we got with Pike earlier. You're not agreeing with me because you have a smirk on your face. No, I am actually. Oh, I'm okay. totally agreeing you. It's with you. It's funny. I, I never thought of this, but there's a line of Ahuras in The City on the Edge of Forever that I've always hated. I hate this line where McCoy has gone through the thing and and the Guardian of Forever and the Enterprise has disappeared. They can't contact them. And Uhura just turns to Kirk and says, Captain, I'm frightened. And I, I've always hated that line. It's just like, ugh. 
But it's interesting that that fits with what you were saying about Uhura and what I see in this episode, that she isn't afraid to express herself and to to be vulnerable in those moments. That's really interesting. Now I might have to kind of reevaluate my thought on that. And I'm wondering, have the producers of the show gone that deep on the character that like something like that informs how they're writing the character of Uhura? That's cool. Could be. Yeah. That's the thing I love about new creators coming in and creating something because it can change your perspective of something old, you know, Mm -hmm. something old is new again. Right. (laughs) And that's what I love about the novels and, and the comics and everything, you know, whether it's canon or not or whatever, you know, it's just, it, it gives you the ability to look at something in a different way that that's always been there. And it's just, Anyway, that's just always cool to me. But speaking of looking things at, in a different way, we have a different alien race here that we're dealing with, and it's all about this comet. And as we talked earlier, they feel like it's alive. It has this destiny, and it must do what it elects to do. And if it feels like it needs to crash on this planet, well, that's what it's meant to do. But it may also be there to help to save lives. It brings life to the galaxy. And... Pike says they're zealots and, oh, you know, what are we going to do with them? You know, we got to save these people, but they won't let us near the comet and they're going to go to battle with us because they have more superior weapons and such. And I kind of like this because it did feel very old style Trek, you know, of these Mm -hmm. aliens. They weren't the villain. They're trying to protect something that they worship in a sense. They're the protectors of this comet which, you know, we don't want to call it a comet, but they're the protectors of it. And I like that struggle of Pike trying to respect their beliefs, but also knowing that he has to do what he has to do to save their lives. And I thought that was really great writing into this story. I agree 100%. I really liked the Shepherds. The best antagonists aren't the ones that are evil for the sake of being evil. They have their own perspective and their own place they're coming from where what they think they're doing is the right thing. And these guys were written so perfectly with that in mind, you know, and, and I love that they're not unreasonable. They seem unreasonable from Pike's perspective and stuff, but from what they're doing, they're they're thinking the Enterprise crew seems unreasonable, you know? So I, I really liked that interplay. Also, just on a purely aesthetic point of view, I loved the look of them, where it's obvious they're using CGI to create this character, but he had so much expressiveness in his face and his eyebrows going up and down as he talked and, you know, I really, really love that. It felt like, oh, this is this is a way you can use CGI in a way that looks really good and allows you more freedom than just makeup would. As much as I love makeup and the creations of Star Trek makeup over the years, Michael Westmore is a genius, obviously, and all the other makeup artists Star Trek has had over the years. This character, the expressiveness on his face and what they were able to do with him he had humanoid features, but the proportions were different and and they played around with that. I love that. And the guy, they got to voice the character. He sounded like so familiar, but at the same time, I I haven't seen him in anything. I looked him up. 
but it just, he was so well played as just, it was perfect. I loved every decision they made in the creation of these shepherd characters. Yeah. I don't know how they did the character. If it was all CGI or partially CGI, because I, Mm -hmm. I thought maybe that this is a big head mask that they put on someone's head. And so that the mouth is actually somebody's mouth doing the yeah. dialogue and speaking. And then, yeah, they're taking CGI and, and they're definitely the animating eyes. it. Yeah, yeah. Animating it. But to your point about, you know, not just CGI, but makeup and, and things looking alien, the, the race on the planet, I looked, I thought looked fantastic. And even the, the, the costumes, the costumes really caught my eye there. I made a comment too, that uh, the costumes were incredible. And I, I I think the costume designer on this show is not the same as discovery. Am I right? I I don't know. I was wondering, and I forgot to look that up as Dan looks it up right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So yeah, it looks like Bernadette Croft is the costume designer of Strange New Worlds. So uh, Gersha Phillips famously is the costume designer on Discovery. So different costume designer. But yeah, really amazing design on this alien creature's costume. Uh, very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, and it's so great in a lot of ways we're away from the older series of the forehead of the week type of aliens you know because they mm-hmm. didn't have the budget and the time and so we have bigger budgets here and maybe a little more time to do things and things have advanced that maybe you know things that were hard to do back then maybe are a little easier i don't know i don't do this kind of work so i, I really have no idea but it's it's so great to see alien races even looking more alien to us yeah, I definitely appreciate that for sure. Like what they did to the Klingons in Discovery. <laughs> People love or hate or don't care or whatever. But again, sometimes maybe they go a little too far. Maybe, you know? Maybe. I'm <laughs> interested to see if we'll see Klingons this season on Strange New Worlds. Oh, I'm or so in the twenty third in the thirty second century Discovery. Oh yes. I'm I'm I don't think I've ever been looking forward to Klingons as much as I am now, because <laughs> I want to see what they're going to do with them. <laughs> but then, you know, having these scenes on the bridge is great and getting to see more of Ortega's is yes. something I've really been enjoying. Cause you know, just the brief things that we got from her in the first episode, we're, we're getting the payoff of that in the second. It's like, she really is cool. Yeah. I love that. My favorite Ortega's moment where Pike gives her the little pep talk, like, you know, you said you wanted to be the best pilot in Starfleet, time to prove it, Lieutenant. She's like, okay, uh, initiating evasive maneuver, Ortega 7 or whatever. (laughs) And Pike just looks at her like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. And then, you know, of course, then they have a plan that they're going to try to divert the comet away from the planet without touching it, you know, cause they promised they would touch it. <laughs> the not touching. You can't get mad maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Get away. Exactly. <laughs> and so they go towards it and the, you know, the enterprise is going towards the comet and the shepherd ship is shooting at them, but then it stops because they don't want to hit the comet. And they're, and so the Enterprise is trying to get on the other side and then, you know, tells the shepherds that, hey, you know, our engines aren't working. You can either, you know, please tractor 
beam us back towards you or we're going to collide with the comet and we're going to blow it up and blah, 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 whatever. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll tractor beam you back. And then Pike is like, all right, Spock, go. Like, it's your turn. It's Spock's into his little shuttlecraft and he's using his heat shields, the shields and stuff to create this heat to break off a part of the comet that will then divert the big comment away from the planet. And so what did you think about that whole uh, solution to this problem? That was interesting. I I thought that was kind of fun. I I loved the gamble that Pike took and it almost felt like a little bit of the Corbomite maneuver where he says the trilithium resin in our warp core will detonate the comet. It kind of felt like, even though he might be actually telling the truth there. It felt kind of in that similar vein as, as Kirk saying the Corbomite device that we have will destroy you and all this stuff. Uh, but I, I, I love that. I thought that was fun with Spock uh, undertaking this mission and doing the little laugh at the end, of course, as we, as I had predicted he would at some point, the shuttlecraft, interestingly is the shuttlecraft Galileo. I don't know if that was... Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, I don't know. In the They pointed out on Memory Alpha that apparently it's the Galileo, and it's shuttlecraft number seven, apparently. So hmm. I did notice the seven. I did notice that, so that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Well, it worked, right? And so the comet moves away, but the shepherds don't know that Spock did this, you know, they're just like, see, look, the glory witness, the miracle that happened, you know? And then what I really loved about this is not just they, they diverted the comet away from the planet, but that the pieces that broke off went into the atmosphere and created rain for this, you know, desert and and this drought that's going on that will actually bring life to the planet. So Mm -hmm. what was going to result in death has now brought new life or the potential of new life to the planet. And again, that's such perfect Star Trek right there. I do love it. Yeah, that was great Star Trek, of course. My my thought, and I, I did say this while we were watching it because I'm a bit of a cynical jerk sometimes. It was like, oh, yeah, they're bringing the rain and, and it's going to change the climate. That's really cool. That's awesome. Unfortunately, this group that's living in the desert, because they're in a desert, there's probably going to be flash flooding and that community's probably done. But, you know, for the planet as a whole, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> That that was awful. That was a bad thought, though. I was just kidding. <laughs> well, that's true. They brought in climate change, right? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, good climate change, though. Climate can change for the better. Absolutely. That's true. Yes. So now this is the part that I'm. I haven't read anybody's thoughts online about any of this stuff. So for all I know, people hate this episode or they love it. I'm going to vote towards more. They love it, but. So this whole thing where Yohara figures out, well, you know, the musical tones relate to numbers, and then I took those numbers and related them to coordinates. And so I see the path that the comment was communicating to us and that it knew all along that was going to pass this planet. So it knew its fate. It knew that this was going to happen. Spock's like, no, I, I'm the one who... She's like, yeah, but it's like it all... It always knew, which is like what we were kind of talking about at the beginning of this episode, which reminds me of season two of Picard, how, you know, the past things that that crew is doing in the 21st century was always meant to happen. So what do you Mm -hmm. think about this whole 
meant to happen thing. I found it interesting. And I mean, like someone like the shepherds would see that as a preordained miracle from a creator or something like that. Right. Or, or something divine or mystical. My mind went to how in Star Trek in particular, but also in real life, we have this idea that, that time is how we perceive the universe, right? Like we perceive that this moment is now, and then now it's in the past and we can't revisit it again. It's, it's, we move through time forward at a rate of one second per second, (laughs) you know, but that's not the case for everyone. That's not the case for the prophets of Bajor, for example, they experience all of time at once or the queue. They, what time has no meaning to them kind of thing. So it could be that like, whatever this comet is, it knows or whoever created it knows what, the shape of the universe is throughout all of time and just knows that it plays its part in all of it. And the enterprise crew will come and do this at some point and that will, they have to be there to do that. Yada, yada, yada. Then my brain starts going into ideas of free will versus predeterminism. (laughs) Like, do we have free will or are we just all part of this universe and it unfolds as it will. And we just play our part yet. I don't, I don't know, but I love that star Trek makes me have those philosophical thoughts. That's great. I love that. You know, I don't know. Like, did I actually choose to be where I am and do what I'm doing? Or was it always this way? Was it written as Una kind of says, right? What's really funny is the night before Wednesday night, uh, Nikki and I watched one of my favorite movies from 2008. I haven't watched it in a long time and Nikki had never seen it. Slumdog Millionaire. And that's one of the things, if, if anyone's seen the movie, it starts with a multiple choice question. Why did this guy win all this money on who wants to be a millionaire? A, he knew the answers. B, he cheated. C, something else. D, it is written. Right. Yes. (laughs) And so that kind of went through my head in this moment. I was like, ah, it was written. That's just, that's the way the universe unfolds. So that's what happened. I don't know. I I don't have any answers as to free will versus predeterminism, but I think it's kind of cool that like the enterprise was meant to be there and meant to do that. Whatever that means. I don't, my personal belief system is it's not, any kind of divine anything. It's just a different way of looking at time and how the universe works. It It is an interesting thing to look at because if you look at this episode, Pike is haunted by what he knows of his future. He knows mm-hmm. his fate. You know, he saw the future. And as Una talks with him later at the end of this episode, she doesn't believe he can't change it. You know, it can be changed. It It's, you know, he's accepted his fate and she thinks he's wrong to accept it. And so in her mind, the future isn't written, but in a sense with the comet, it knows its future is written and can't change to me. It, it, it's, it could go one of several different ways. Does the comet know that 
this is always meant to happen. Does it have this perception, like you said, the prophets in DS9 of looking at time as not as linear, but as a whole? But then, or is it more like Hemmer that knows that Spock's about to throw the carrot at him, not knowing that that was what it's always meant to be, but just can perceive when things are about to happen? And it's almost like, is the comet knowing that, oh my gosh, if this course that I'm taking will bring us too close to this planet, but that will be okay because I can anticipate that Mm -hmm. there's going to be a ship there called the Enterprise that's going to prevent me from hitting it so I can move forward. You know, it's there's so many different ways to look at that. Or did the comet in another universe hit the planet and communicate, or can this comet see what has happened in other universes to try to avoid or, or knows that the Enterprise will do it from it? Like we could go on and on all day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And again, what is the comet? You know, it's not a piece of rock. I'm just like it knows something or, or the structure on it is its brain or is that what the egg is all about? And, you know, there's so many more questions that you don't necessarily need the answers to because you want to use your own mind to kind of philosophically figure out these things. Yeah. I, I And I love that it raises all of those questions. It, I love that it makes us think about those and, and ponder those ideas and how it relates to Pike and his future. I think that was very clever. I love that. Yeah. And then just going yeah to that last scene of him accepting his fate. I love how the scene ends with him bringing up the files of each of the cadets that he will eventually save their lives. And just bringing that up. I mean, this, I I have to tell you, going into strange new worlds, I had a feeling, of course, I would enjoy it. I like Star Trek stuff. But, you know, is it going to be great Star Trek? Is it going to be okay Star Trek and stuff? And so far, right now, I'm feeling like this is going to be great Star Trek. I agree. Yeah, I think they're definitely going in the right direction here. I'm really enjoying this. I also love that scene, like you said, at the end where he's calling up the the files. Again, my brain goes to places and it's like, that would ruin the scene. But like, there's got to be more than one person with each of those names. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it would wreck the scene, though, if the computer's like, there are 3,422 individuals on file with or whatever, you know. But I, I love... At this point, they're just kids, you know, and they're still just kids when it happens, but they're just like kid kids right now. Ah, that's so the, the fact that he knows the names and faces of the people that he's going to save, it brings me back to that episode where he learned that information and my contention that like some people complained that when, uh, when Tanavik said to him, you know, if you take the crystal, your future will be set and you cannot change it. People were like, oh, that's too mystical. That's so mystical. Like if he takes the crystal, that was not, I didn't get that from that. What I got from it was Tanavik has taken the, the sum of what he's learned about Pike and his character and is telling him, you won't be able to change this because of who you are. 
you won't be able to change this because you will want to save the lives of those kids. Not because of some mystical property of the time crystal. It's because you will see what has to be done and you won't be able to change that because you're a good person. That's what I took from that. And this episode seems to kind of reinforce that belief of mine. That was really good, Dan. <laughs> I like hearing that. That's incredible. How, you know, how do you feel about, we didn't really talk about it when we talked about the first episode. I thought about it after we recorded, but we really didn't talk about the the fate that haunts Pike, his his future. And we're seeing that in the first episode. We're seeing that here too, when he sees his reflection and he sees his future disformed self and it's continuing to haunt him. I enjoy that they're working this into this, but I don't want to see this in every episode. It's fine. It works well for these two episodes. But how do you feel about that? I mean, I don't want it to be in the third and fourth. If every time he looks at his reflection and he's always haunted and this, like after a while, I mean, I I don't want to totally ignore it, but I don't want to focus on it in every episode. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like it informs the character and I'm sure there'll be, a moment, right? Where there's like a crisis situation where it informs what he does or, or how he faces it. I, I like the idea that it influences what he's going through in his day-to-day life. Like there's a moment earlier in the episode where he's talking to Uhura and says, where do you see yourself in 10? And he kind of chokes a bit because he knows what's happening to him within 10 years. Right. The fact that it has those effects, I think that just those little reminders every once in a while, I think is really interesting. And I'm sure there's lots more to come on this storyline. But yeah, I hope it's not something that is constantly obsessed about. But I think it's definitely something that won't be forgotten. It'll definitely continue to inform his character. I'm just thinking also, again, our perceptions will change watching TOS because when we see him in the menagerie, we're going to say he knew this was coming. He knew he'd be sitting in that chair. But he also doesn't know the ultimate fate that he will return to Talos for and be given. He doesn't know that that's still coming because there were some comments that he felt like that was the end of his life there. And different people took that different ways. Some, some said that was a, um, an ableist thing to say and stuff. And I'm not going to necessarily weigh in on that because I'm not sure what I think about that line exactly, but it does illustrate to me that he also, of course, doesn't know what's coming after and that that isn't the end, that he isn't confined to that chair forever. You know, there's, there's more to come for him after that, that he has no idea about. That's interesting to me too. That is, well, I'm just wondering, Dan, what's next to come in your final thoughts? Final thoughts. I really enjoyed this episode. The best episodes of Star Trek really make me ponder big ideas. And this episode definitely did that. And uh, there's a, there's an episode of Babylon five where uh, the, the writer wrote this story that kind of had to do with religious belief. And, 
he got a lot of complaints about the episode and he got a lot of people writing in saying like, I can't believe you came down on the side of, of belief in God so hard. I thought you were an atheist. How could you do this? And the other half were from people saying, I can't believe you argued so vehemently on the side of atheism. How could you fly in the face of God that way? And he's like, aha, I did my job. Well, the best script start bar fights. And I love <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I love that this episode could be kind of seen in that way as well. Like some people could say this episode, oh, that argues for the existence of God. I don't know if I agree with that for Star Trek doing that, but I see it from the other perspective that, you know, it, I I don't think it does that. So I, I love that it makes you ponder these things. That's what I really took from this episode. And also of course, Uhura is, quickly once again becoming one of my favorite characters and Celia Rose Gooding is killing it as this character and as soon as she started singing I was like okay this is Uhura this is awesome so uh, full marks for this episode I give it a cloud of life-giving particles seeding a planet and making it rain (laughs) nice yeah um, yeah, this actress as Uhura is, is fabulous. I, I love her. She's not just playing what she's seen portrayed before from other actresses. Uh, but she's making it her own, but she, she, I think we talked about this in the last episode. She just has that aura about her. Like she is Uhura, you know, she has that, that spirit, you know, it's like it's mm-hmm. there and, she may not look exactly like Nichelle Nichols or anybody else, you know, but it's like she, she's her, you know, she's her. I'm, I'm sold. I buy all these characters. I love them all so far. I mean, some of them, I barely even know. I'm, I'm just intrigued by them and I like them. I love the positive atmosphere so far of the series, the brightness of the bridge. It gives a different vibe than maybe we were getting from like discovery, which the bridge is a bit darker and their first couple, you know, seasons, their episode, their, their uniforms were, were just all blue. And, and not that I don't enjoy that, but this does have that retro kind of feeling of old Star Trek. So it's nice to have that feeling of old and also have things that are totally different and new for Star Trek that we haven't seen before in other series. And so this does a good job of kind of even blending those two. But overall, yeah, everything that you said, this episode, the story, the egg, the alien race we're dealing with, trying to save a planet, the interaction with this, this crew, the pacing, the storyline, everything to me is perfect. There was not a single thing in here that I was like, wait, what? Or eh, kind of wish they would have taken more time on that or whatever. So overall, I give this episode five out of five carrots that Spock throws to Hemmer. I love it. Perfect rating. It also occurs to me, as a quick aside, Pike has called up the names of those kids before. So he's already found the correct ones and he had them preloaded in the computer. So I just explained away my own problem with that. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> See, perfect episode then. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Dan, when you're not calling up cadet names on the computer, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook and all kinds of places on the internet talking about Star Trek. 
And Bruce, when you're not wondering where the heck Dr. Mbenga was this week, where can we find you? <laughs> that, I'll give a little ding on this episode for that. He should have been there. <laughs> But that's okay. I uh, can be found on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram at just Admiral Rex. And of course, I'm in our Goodreads group where we have our books that we show what's coming up on our book club episodes. And of course, on our Facebook discussion groups, I'm there. I'm not on Star Wars Report anymore because that show has ended. And I've taken a lesser role, whatever, stepped away from literary tricks so that isn't happening right now they didn't kick me off it's just i'm too busy (laughs) (laughs) believe me if i want to come back anytime i can so that's where you'll find me so dan it was great talking about this episode with you and i look forward to us talking about future star trek episodes like we've always done and books coming up because we do have a book club just so everybody knows We're going to review the short stories that were found in issue number two of Star Trek Explorer magazine. So that'll be our next book club. So if you're not big into reading the novels and just don't do the comics and stuff, but you're getting the magazine, we're going to talk about those stories. So that being said, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you, our patrons on Patreon. And, uh, oh yeah, if you want to follow us on Twitter, at PositivelyTrek, send us an email, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. And also on Instagram at Positively Track. So thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time. And go out into the world and stay positive. Bye. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.